The title of this message is Truth in the Inward Parts. And this message is based on Psalm 51, one of the verses in Psalm 51 that talks about truth in the inward parts. And it is very important for us to study this topic about what God desires and this truth in the inward parts. Let's go to Psalm 51 and verse 6 to start. Psalm 51, and this is the prayer that was recorded from David to God in repentance after he was made aware, really, and came to his senses about what he had done in sinning against God with Bathsheba and killing her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And this is a, a psalm of true repentance, of what true repentance looked like. But there is one statement here in verse 6 in Psalm 51 that is very, very important for us to, to think about, to remember, and to ponder on, to examine a little bit more closely what does this mean. In verse 6 of Psalm 51, David in his prayer, he says to God, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. But how did he know what God desired? How did he know that God desired truth in the inward parts? And that in the hidden part you shall, he shall make him to know wisdom. And moreover, what is this inward parts? What are these inward parts? What is this hidden part that he's talking about here? It's important for us to study the word of God to see what else it tells us about the inward part, about the hidden part. And what is the relationship of all of these things to our relationship with God, to our calling, to our walk with God? And to see what we can learn that God wants to share with us for us to really know and understand his purpose, his plan, and everything that he has for us. If you do a study on the inward parts in the Old Testament, you'll find that the majority of those references is talking about animals, sacrificial animals, and it's talking about the intestines, the kidneys, you know, the, the internal parts, the inward parts that have to do in its majority with the digestion and cleansing of the system. That's what that's what he's talking about there. And the majority of the, the references to the inward parts in the, uh, the Old Testament, there's a few in the New Testament, there's a couple, but the majority are in the Old. And the majority, as I mentioned, have to do with the animals, have to do with the sacrificial animals and what to do with the innards, what to do with the intestines, the kidneys, etc. But there are a few scriptures that are talking about people and talking about our inward parts. Because David here knew that God desires truth in the inward parts. And that there's a hidden part to make us know wisdom. And what does all these mean? One of those scriptures is in Jeremiah 31. Let's go to Jeremiah 31. And we're going to begin in verse 31. And this is a very familiar scripture to all of us, just like Psalm 51, 6 is. But we're going to read some things here and stop to analyze some of these things that are written because this is very, very important for us today. In verse 31, it says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant of mine they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall no more teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And this is, this is amazing, especially verse 33 and 34, speaking about the covenant that the Lord was going to make after those days. We don't have time to go into detail right now, and, and there's many sermons and series on the site that you can go to to understand the new covenant, to understand what was the full significance of everything that is written here. We don't have time to go into all of that. But in Hebrews 8, the Apostle Paul is describing, talking about this covenant for physical Israel, and he's talking about that it is yet to happen. And, that, and he's explaining also the need for a new covenant, which he also made, because it can be viewed in two ways. After those days, after those days for physical Israel will happen, after those days of the time that we're living in. It's talking about the millennium, after those days. But for us, it's talking about Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 10, Paul explains that in Hebrews 10, that it's after those days, after the days of Jesus Christ and his life, and death, he sacrificed for our sins, that he is making this covenant now with us. For all of those of us who are being sanctified, who have made a covenant with God through baptism. And the promise is that he would put his law, it says, I will put my law in their inward parts. Same terminology. He's talking about the same terminology of the inward parts and write it in their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that definitely does apply to us today. And he's talking about, in verse 34, it gives us understanding of what this all means. It says, and they shall no more teach each man his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. So this has to do with knowing God, knowing the Lord. If he puts his laws in our inward parts, we will know the Lord. That's part of it. That's the first part of it. And the other aspect of this is it has to do with forgiveness. It says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And that's what we have. And that's explained in, in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 14. Verses 14 through 17 speak about all of these things. And you can read it on your own. And you can listen to some of the series on the site that have been made about the the, the new covenant and the differences between the, the, the old covenant and the new covenant and this new covenant where God is putting his law in our inward parts. But going, going back to what we read in Psalm 51, David said, you desire truth in the inward part. And here it says, I will put my law in their inward part. And it's something very similar. In fact, in Psalm 119, 151, it says, You are near, O Lord, for all, for it, it says that all his, his law is the truth. 
You are near a Lord in all your law, and your law is the truth. Those are equivalent. The law of God and the truth are the same, are basically the same. That's what it says in Psalm 119 and verse 151. So David knew that. He knew that God desires truth in the inward part. And there was this promise as well that God would put those laws in our inward parts. But what else does the Bible tell us about these inward parts? And and it's amazing because when we when we get to you know a little bit a little bit of other things, we're gonna see how much God knows about each and every one of us, how we're made, how we're designed. And he uses very specific language to describe the things that he wants to do in us and with us and for us. And especially for himself, because we are his creation. We're going to see how science is just starting to begin to catch up to what God has known from the beginning, obviously, because he is the master designer. But let's go to Job, Job 38. Because this is amazing when we think about what this new covenant is and putting his laws in our inward parts and being inscribed in our hearts and all everything that this means for us, for the process of conversion, for our calling, for the purpose that we have, that God is giving us. It's something amazing because like as we saw, it really is the key to knowing God, making that com- commit that, that covenant with God, com- commitment to God. That is the key to knowing God, and that is the key to forgiveness, as we read in verse 34. But what else it says about the inward parts in, in here in the, in the Old Testament in Job? Job 38 and verse 36. And this is part of the response that God gave to Job when Job was exalting himself and giving all the credit to himself for everything good that he had done. Then God answers him out of the whirlwind, as we saw in, in, in Job 38 in the first verse. But then it's talking about all of these other things. It's talking, then God starts asking Job all of these things to see whether Job knows them. It's, all, it's a lot of the things about the knowledge of God, even just about the physical creation. Or where, where was he? Basically putting him in his place, that he was not there, that he doesn't understand these things. But one of the questions that that God asked Job in verse 36 is, is talking about himself. Obviously, a lot of these, these, these questions are rhetoric, right? Like we know it's not, it's not for Job to give an answer to God. It's really to put Job in his place. But that's what it says here. It says, who has put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who has given understanding to the mind? And here I'm going to make a parenthesis to make uh, a commercial for one of the messages, a couple of messages that were given by Michael Heiss regarding the biblical heart, where he explains very, very well what is uh, that word in Hebrew, lev, which is the heart, the mind, the gut connection, basically everything that we are. So this message is kind of a companion to those messages because those set the foundation for what the biblical heart is. And this this is very interesting in verse 36 here because it, He's asking the question to Job, like, who has put wisdom in the inward parts? So we learn something else about the inward parts. That God desires truth. That he, as part of the new covenant, is going to write his law, put his law 
in our inward parts. And now we're learning something else. It says that he puts wisdom there. It says, who has put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who has given understanding to the mind? And when we think about this, how is it that wisdom is in the inward parts? It is very important because there is some research, like I mentioned, that has been happening. And there's, in, in fact, a new field that is developing is neurogastroenterology. And it's very interesting because it has to do with neurons in the digestive tract. Gastroenterology, which means, you know, the process to digest our food. And that's what we're talking about, talking about the inward parts. But who has put wisdom in the inward parts? In there is uh, one interview, and there's a lot of research, but one, one interview in particular that was very interesting. This interview was by Nicholas Weiler, and it's in a podcast titled From Our Neurons to Yours by Stanford University. And you can look it up online yourself and listen to the entire thing. I'm just going to read a, a couple of things from that interview. This interview by Nicholas Weiler was, he, he interviewed Julia Kaltschmidt. And, and he's a, a, a Woodside Neurosciences Institute faculty scholar and an associate professor in the Department of Neurosurgery at Stanford Medicine. I mean, this is one of the most brilliant minds that we can have speak on this subject. And we're going to read what uh, some of the excerpts of this interview because there's some very interesting aspects that she mentions about the inward parts. And this is when, in a conversation relating to this thing, as to how even the gut has been coined the second brain and the similarities between some of the cells in, in the gut and in the brain. And in answering that question, it's like, what is this second brain that people speak of right now? Uh, Julia says, the second brain, and this is, quote, the second brain is really a network of nerve cells that line the gut, also called the gastrointestinal tract. And this network, is also called the enteric nervous system. And enteric really means relating or occurring in the gut. And this neural network is so similar to our first brain that it's, it's been coined the second brain. Another, another part of this interview, jumping a little bit ahead in this, we're just going to point out a couple of things about the gut and what, is, what, what, what does it do, some of the amazing things and the connection between the gut and our mind. Uh, she says, uh, continuing here in this interview, Julia says, when we think of the gut, and this is what the enteric nervous system does, it controls digestion. There are enzymes that are released to digest food, controls the uptake of nutrients, and then muscle contractions and mechanical mixing. But what it really doesn't do is generate conscious thought process as we think of it. However, the one thing that it can do is that it can communicate, communicate between the gut and the brain and, and actually vice versa, also from the brain to the gut. So there are these nerves that run between the base of the brain and the gut. It's called the vagus nerve, and you can think of it as a street or maybe more as a highway because the signals are really fast. And then she continues on to this research. She says the research efforts that are currently ongoing on in the field of the microbiome and the gut-brain axis are really important to try to understand how the microbiome or how the bacteria in our gut can influence our mind or our mood. This is an example of how researching or understanding the enteric nervous system 
and the close associated microbiome are important for understanding and well-being of the mind. And microbiome just means all of the bacteria and uh, in our gut. And there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria as well, but there's a balance and God created it perfectly as we know. Uh, now we, it has been severely damaged and, it, it, you know, with all the, the chemicals and all the things that we're exposed to uh, nowadays. But it's, it's amazing this research and what she's really saying that there's, there's a connection, a direct connection between the mind and the gut. And then and, and, and what is the relationship? And, and then she continues, just I'm going to read another uh, couple of excerpts from this. Julia says, another point to consider when talking about the crosstalk between the gut and brain is that gastrointestinal issues such as gastrointestinal dysfunction is very tightly associated with neurological diseases. So, for example, Parkinson's disease or autism spectrum disorder, individuals with these diseases oftentimes have colonic dysmotility or constipation. And in fact, when you think about Parkinson's disease, a lot of times constipation precedes the motor symptoms that occur in Parkinson's disease. So there's clearly a very close correlation of gut dysfunction and neurological diseases. When you think about language, it continues. When, you, when you're exciting, this is saying butterflies in, in my stomach, or you have a gut reaction to something, those things. The fact that actually the, the gut became integrated in our language describing decisions, to me, is really telling. It's going to be very interesting to see how the gut influences our decisions. And this is so very interesting because this is the, one of the last things that, that Julia says in this interview. She says, with the generalized anxiety, there are thoughts that are, is actually something in the gut or the enteric nervous system, or the signals that derive from there affect our mood. So, for example, I'd say, yes, the enteric nervous system is able to influence our mind and our decisions. And it is very interesting. We've all felt it. We've all been hungry and get, get upset, get, get short with people. This is actually true. The gut has a lot to do with our feelings and our emotions. And I, again, once again, reference to those messages by Michael Heiss about the biblical heart, because that concept of heart, the concept of love, it, it, it involves all three things. It involves the mind and the heart and the gut, all three things. Because these neurons, these, these same types of cells are found in all three, in the brain and in the heart and in the gut. But God already knew all of this. Because he created us, the, the, the research right now with the scientists is just catching up to this and understanding the relationships. And one of the things that, uh, that, that was said in this interview and in, in other interviews is that the gut, it, it can actually sustain on its own. It has a mind of its own to carry out the digestive processes. It's not necessarily conscious thoughts, but it can actually carry out digestion all of it on its own give directions in a sequence and everything is programmed and it's an amazing thing but like it is it is amazing to see the emotions the feelings that we feel them in our heart when we're nervous that's what happens when we're excited when we can't wait for something it's all kinds when we have anxiety when we have tension all of these are expressed in our gut let's go to habakkuk 3 there's a couple of examples and there's more but we're just going to read a couple of examples in the word of god because Really, this is the source of the truth. The science is just catching up to it. And, and what it says in here in Habakkuk 3, in verse 14, 
And this is, uh, this is what, what the prophet Habakkuk is saying, talking about all, all of these, these problems and this destruction. It says, you pierce through the head of his warriors with his own shafts. They storm out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing is to devour the meek secretly. You trod upon the sea with your horses through the foaming of mighty waters. I heard and my inward parts trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I should wait for the day of trouble when he comes up against the people that he invades. And this is interesting because it does say that I heard and my inward parts tremble. He, he was moved. This is one of the examples of, of how the Bible actually attests to all of these things. This, these gut reactions and feelings and emotions, butterfly, and this, and this is nothing new. Obviously, this is part of how we were created. But let's go to Lamentations as another short example. Lamentations 2. And this is, this is talking about what, what is happening. And, and, and again, this is the Lamentations, and this is, is very hard for Jeremiah when he wrote this. And, and what he says, it says in verse 10, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and are very silent. They throw dust upon their heads. They gird on sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. My eyes fail with tears. My inward parts burn. My liver is poured on the ground for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the babies faint in the, in the streets of the city. And these are, these are not just allegories. This is not just figurative speech. I mean, this is, this is the real emotions that he's feeling. Obviously, he's putting it. That's what he's feeling, though. It, 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 it's, it's an actual feeling in the God. And that's what we feel a lot. And it is very important because God wants, a, wants all of this. He, he, he desires truth in the inward parts. He desires the truth to be in us. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that is. But let's go to Acts 17 because this is very, very important. It's very important for us to know and understand that God wants his law in every part of ourselves in the inward parts, in that secret chamber, in the, in the midst of our body. That's the center of our body. That's the, that's the, why is the center of that's, that's why is the, the cavity. And it's so important, so important because it's tied to our emotions, to our thoughts, to our feelings. That's why all three parts of, of lab, right? The, the brain, the heart and the gut is very important. In Acts 17, when Paul was talking to uh, all the people right there in, in, in Greece, and he was talking about, uh, you know, to, to the un, about the unknown God. In Acts 17, in verse 24, he's talking about him, and then he starts to describe it. He says, he is the God who made the world and all things that are in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by the hands of man, as though he needs anything. For he gives life, he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made of one blood all the nations of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, having determined beforehand their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling, in order that they might seek 
the Lord, if perhaps they might feel after him and might find him. Though truly, he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of the poets among you also have said, for we are his offspring. Because what Paul is explaining here is that God made us. He made us with a purpose. He wants us to feel after him. That our belief and our understanding that is not just an intellectual thing. He didn't say love the God, love God only with all the mind. He says with all our heart, with all our soul. And the center of our soul, the center of our physical being is that God. That's what the feelings and emotions are. That's what they recite. That's where they feel. we feel them. That's who we are. It's not just an intellectual process of just getting to know his laws and commandments and memorize them and recite them. It's that they would be actually part of us, part of who we are, part of how we react. And we've seen a, a little bit of the research between the connection of the gut and the mind. But God knows all of this. This isn't taken by surprise. Like the philosophers, no one understands certain parts is what he said. As some of the poets as well have said, for we are his offspring, understanding that there is a higher being, understanding that there is God that made us. But God wants truth in the inward parts. In the inward parts, it will make us to know wisdom. That's what he wants. And how does he know that? How does he know that? He wants for us to feel after him. To not only think about him, to not only memorize and try, no, to, to direct ourselves to him, to reach out from the heart with our emotion. Not, not just in, not with emotion only, as many people do in mainstream Christianity. It's not just about an emotion. It has to be in truth. It has to be that truth, all his laws, his commandments. But we are to feel after him. We are to feel with every fiber of our being, with the center of our bodies, with who we are and how we think and what we feel. Is what we feel and what we think and what we know is everything. That's how God wants us to, to love him. That's, how, that's what God wants to do with us. And he has a method of knowing this. Let's go to Proverbs 20. And he, he built this into every human being so that we would all know what he has written in his word and that we know that he is watching us. And he's looking for those who are seeking him, as it says. And how does he do this? In Proverbs 20 and 20, verse 27, it says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. How much more specific can he get than that? Telling us. You have a spirit in man. I had given eternity on your heart. I put it, he placed eternity on our hearts. We say we, we read that in Ecclesiastes. He's done that. But how does he know what is in us? He has put the spirit of man. And he, as the lamp of the Lord, he uses the lamp to see what's in our belly. He sees what is in our core, in our feelings, in our emotions. Do we just come to God intellectually? It's not just about how much we know. We know knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's about how do we conduct ourselves? Who are we? How do we do things? And that is an amazing thing when we think about it. Because that, that is what God has told Israel even from the beginning in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says this. 
He specifically, he's not trying to hide it from anybody. He's very upfront with people and how he tests people, how he searches the hearts of men, how he searches the inward parts of the belly, how he searches and why. In Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, it says, it, Moses is, 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 is saying all of these things. It says, and you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. We come back to the commandments. We come back to the law. We come back to the truth and the inward parts. That way he's talking about. But how does how will he know? It's as saying he humbled you, verse 3, and allowed you to hunger and then fed you with manna which you did not know. Neither did your fathers know it. So that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. To know and understand what was in your heart. That's what God wants to know. He desires truth in the inward part. How much truth do we have in our inward part, in our emotions, in our feelings, in addition to what he's teaching us through his word in knowledge? But do we let his word really sink deep into our being, into our soul, which is a physical life, a physical being as we are? Because this is what God wants. He wants that to be in us. He desires truth in the inward part. Let's go to John. John 14. We're just going to read another couple scriptures to conclude. To leave you with these thoughts to meditate upon. But in John 14 and verse 14. Because this is a very strong connection between the truth and the inward parts. Which we know the truth is the law, the commandments, is the new covenant, is everything. Is feeling after God. And the connection of our feelings and emotions to our thoughts. But it says in John 14 and verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then he says in verse 15, if you love me, keep the commandments, namely my commandments. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what he said. That's what he wants. David knew that. You desire truth in the inward parts. He promised it in Jeremiah. That's what it is. And then Jesus, this is the way that he's making it happen. And I will ask the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. And we know that's the Holy Spirit, that it may be with you throughout the age. Even the spirit of the truth, that is the truth in the inward parts. The Holy Spirit of God, together with the commandments of God, together with the promise that he made, together with his forgiveness, with knowing God, with all of these things come together. And it says, which the world cannot receive because he perceives it not nor knows it, but you know it because he dwells with you. The Holy Spirit was with them. And he says, and he shall be within you, which we know in, in Acts. That's when he was poured out. But then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And we know here in, in, in John 14, in verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So everything connects. He is the truth. He is that truth. And his Holy Spirit is his very own power through which he lives in us, and that's what he desires, that truth, his commandments, his laws, his way of being, his very own nature in our inward parts and in our minds. And that's why he inscribes them in our hearts, so that all are connected. 
so that we can grow in grace and knowledge, so we can truly do what he said in John 15. This is the last scripture in John 15 and verse 4. It says, dwell in me and I in you. How can we dwell in him unless we repent and are baptized and have the Holy Spirit and we come to him and we develop this relationship with him and we're growing only in grace and knowledge and understanding, but he lives in us, in our body, through the Holy Spirit. Dwell in me and I in you. We dwell in him because he's his spirit and he dwells in us because he's his spirit in us, in the inward parts truth in the inward parts as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself but only if it remains in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you're dwelling in me it is an impossibility to be good truly good apart from god he has to give the growth he has to give the understanding but that's what he wants in verse 5 it says i am the vine and you are the branches the one who is dwelling in me and i in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. And, he, and it's literal nothing, nothing of value, nothing worthy, nothing lasting. And, and let's just skip down to verse 9, because Jesus tells us this. As the Father has loved me, I, have also, I also have loved you. Live in my love. And the love of God is that we keep his commandments. If you keep me commandments, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall live in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and live in his love. And this is the purpose of it all. These things I have spoken to you in order that your joy may dwell in you and that your joy may be full and that we would feel it in the inward parts, that we will have truth in the inward part. That we would have his spirit, his laws, his commandments, everything about God dwelling in us because that's what we were made for.